0: Welcome to Exploring Beyond the Edge with Dr. Cynthia Andrews. Are you ready to explore the conscious path around you, open your heart and mind, and awaken your curiosity? You've stopped into the right place. Now, here is your host, Dr. Cynthia Andrews.
1: Hey there, this is Cynthia with co-host Colin. So welcome Colin. Hi, Cynthia.
2: Here we go. This is the thirteenth.
1: The this last is one. the thirteenth. Sadly. So welcome everyone to our final live show, as Colin has just said. And thank you so much for being here and for supporting us through these past weeks. We've really enjoyed this. It has been it has opened an avenue for us that we didn't really anticipate um, at this point. We really didn't. And it was greatly fun, greatly appreciated. And as much as we sincerely hope that it has been enjoyable for you, we also really want to thank the Voice America team, especially our audio engineer, A-Rod, who has taken such good care of us. Thank you, A-Rod. And our producer, Winston Price, and the entire host services team. They've given us a lot of training, a lot of insights, helped with all the things we're really bad at, like social media.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, it's another page, you know, in the book. It Mm -hmm. has been an experience. And, you know, to add to your uh, thanks there, Cynthia, I I most sincerely uh, do thank all of the listeners, not only Mm. to this show, but Mm who have been so loyal to me, to us, but to me over those years, and, uh, you know, many of them still show up on my website, on Facebook, and uh, listening in on this program from different parts of the world. It's very touching. And, you know, some of these have been following the work uh, right back to the 80s and oh, 90s. They've heard so all
1: the stories, but they're still they coming to hear still so got more. some <laughs> new ones to
2: come. <laughs> all the secrets are kept to the end. Right. But, no, very, very uh, grateful to everybody.
1: Yeah. Thank you. And, and after tonight, you can still find us. We're going to have, we have a YouTube channel, Exploring Beyond the Edge. We're going to have all of these broadcasts, of course, and then we'll be adding regular pre-recorded, unscripted shows and also some live stream programs where people can phone in. Um, please excuse the fire in the background. It's getting a little crazily out of hand. Hope it doesn't be too distracting. Um, so, we are going to be live-streaming once a month so that people can ask questions, and we have, we're have we going to be starting off with a series on health issues, including some new advances in frequency healing, some thoughts on Lyme disease, um, and we have some non-ordinary reality, of course, things coming up. Possibly even, I'm going to go ahead and announce it, we have a commitment um, and are trying to find a date for Dan Aykroyd, and that will be a really fun Interview with him. He's he had will. some amazing experiences Absolutely. of the non ordinary kind.
2: Yeah, he, he's a, a very brave character. You know, I, I have great respect for him, uh, and I like him personally too. Mm-hmm.
1: So our new format will be very relaxed with timing, and we will be able to go more in depthly into things as people have been hoping for. Uh, We'll be announcing things on Facebook and Twitter, so stay tuned, and you can also, you know, of course, just look for us on YouTube. So tonight, we are discussing what happens after death, sharing some stories and some current research. So, you know, polls show that overwhelmingly the good majority of people in America really do believe in some form of life after death, although perhaps not in a religious way, and many of the people who who have such beliefs have them because of personal experiences that support their views. So I think by and large, the majority of of reports are just feeling a presence and and emotionally being connected to that presence in a way that you know who it is. But equally, people see apparitions, they hear voices, they have very real lucid dreams of, of their loved ones in communicating something important to them. And feel through the fact that they're changed by the experiences, that the experiences are real. But, of course, the problem is that there are very few means to validate that these are real experiences. And that's kind of a little bit what we're going to be talking about tonight. And different people will ask, why is it important? Why are we even talking about death? And, And I think it's arguable that our relationship with death is the single most important element in being fully alive and fully present in the moment and fully able to participate in life. And, you know, the first time I encountered this idea of death as an ally was in reading Carlos Castaneda's books as a teenager. And then when I was 17, I had my first face-to-face experience with death um, on an airplane to Ireland in the 70s, and this was during the height of the IRA issues, and we were over Boston when it was revealed to everybody in the plane that they believed a bomb was on board the plane, which was very surprising that they would have shared it with everybody. But while the crew became very noticeably nervous, and that's probably because they had a job to do and the rest of us didn't, but the passengers became extremely calm. It was kind of amazing that rather than being terrified or any of the ways that you would expect, as the plane turned back to Logan Airport, everybody just became extraordinarily calm. And as we were coming into the landing strip, the airport has been cleared and there our emergency vehicles lining the tarmac as we're landing. And again, you know, for myself, I just became so calm and so aware of every breath and every breath seemed to contain the entire universe and every sensation was experienced in this deep and profound way. So that as I was submerged in the moment, I was also aware of the rightness of it, that everything was exactly fine. I had no fear at all, and just this very profound sense of aliveness. And I think that this is important because in our society, we seem to be in such denial and fear of death that we become trapped in time, hurrying all the time to experience and express everything that's possible before the experience is over, before we die. And there's a sense of being driven by this fear that we're going to reach the end and have missed it. So for me, the message when death becomes an ally is that you are enough and life is enough. And you are exactly where you're supposed to be doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing.
2: Yeah, I, I would pretty well share that same view, I think the purpose of being here is to observe, to be, you know, as an observation and an experience, because I think the long-term future is in the hands of nature, effectively. Some will call that God. I call the same word as we said before, nature. We can change our experience by our actions and observations, but it's not a condition of our existence that we do. I think our uh, internal conversation with ourselves is so minuscule on the scale of things that nature will dictate that, but we can cushion some of our experiences and expand our experiences with that uh, uh, of what exists outside of our normal frame of reference. If we grow spiritually, we talk about this often, so will our range of experiences. If we react to our heartfelt emotions, which again we talked about last week, and our intuitions, an even wider and complete experience awaits.
1: Well, so if we're going to try and explore life after death experientially, there are really three three different ways of gaining insight. We have near-death experiences. You know, people who have died and been brought back to life. We have reincarnation memories, especially from young children, because they're not making it up. It's coming from a very fresh place and we have direct communications with, with the dead. And there are some scientific studies on that which we'll be talking about. So as we go through the show, you know, just understand that we're not trying to convince anyone of anything. We're just sharing thoughts. So near-death experiences happen when people die and they're resuscitated. They often, you know, you hear the, they're traveling down a tunnel of light and seeing people that they know who have already died or sometimes instead of that, they leave their body and watch events unfolding as others are trying to save them.
2: Yeah, and uh, (coughs) excuse me, I think uh, this is where we begin now, I think, to open this up because, you know, it's, it's by sharing experiences, as we have said, looking at the evidence, looking at what it suggests and overlaying it even into other subject matter to see where this may come together and how much more real it is than we've given i think many have given it time there's a large body of research on this uh, much of it done by um kenneth ring who's quite local phd university of connecticut um, with madeline lawrence also phd at hartford hospital here in, in connecticut i mean this is one of the studies i read directly out here one of many Um, A patient in Hartford Hospital in Connecticut was in a procedure when she went into a cardiac arrest. Other specialists were called to the theater by telephone in that theater. Later, when the patient was in recovery, she described to a nurse a near-death experience in which she lifted out of her body and heard both sides of the telephone conversations in the theater, but also drifted up onto the roof looking down onto the uh, Hartford hospital roof during her obe where she saw a single red shoe as she described it and its placement on the roof a janitor which later went up onto the roof of the hospital and recovered a red shoe just where she had said it was interesting yeah yeah i mean there's a i can, I can give you a second uh, example here and this is from a local medic again, and this is local, so you can imagine if you could spread this across the country and around the planet, just what, how much more is going on. This is a local medic at Killingworth in Connecticut. It's the town very close to us here in Guilford. Uh, was in the back of an ambulance transferring a patient who had a serious heart attack. He was attempting to res- resuscitate the patient during the drive to Yale New Haven Hospital and was involved in in writing medical details and also radioing forward details when he dropped and lost his pen during that trip which he could not find even after dropping the patient at Yale Hospital the woman recovered and later was able to tell the medic where the pen had lodged during the journey because she witnessed it dropping from outside of her body he checked where he said she
1: said it was and recovered the pen And there's so many stories Many, many, many. Very convincing. I think it's interesting to notice that my brother Quinn actually worked with Kenneth Ring. Maybe on a future program, we'll be able to get some of his insights from working directly with somebody like that. So, you know, what I am always fascinated in, and probably because my own daughters have had some experiences this way, but are the children's reincarnation memories. And there is a... um, Dr Ian Stevenson who was the former head of the department of psychiatric psychiatry excuse me at the University of Virginia and he spent over 40 years researching and investigating reincarnation memories in children from around the world including i mean India Africa Turkey Japan Britain the US he's written several books so if anyone's interested you can find them on Amazon they're on children's memories and reincarnations and one of the things he notes that I think is really interesting, that children who talk about um, the the deaths that they had in previous lives often carry the scars of their previous death in the form of birthmarks or deformities or even health issues, which was certainly the case with my daughter. Yes. And um, night terrors also are, are a part of that. Kids have night terrors at very specific times. And... People may remember a story that was in the news a few years back. It was on the ABC News. You can you can Google it and, and get all the details about a young boy named James Leninger. And shortly after his second birthday, I believe it was, he developed nightmares during which he screamed and as he got older he shouted phrases such as plane on fire, little man can't get out. That's right. Yeah, you remember that, yeah. Yeah. And so then during the next four years until he was six, he played almost exclusively with fighter airplanes. He would draw battle pictures, and he knew detailed information about the airplane, such as the difference between like a bomb casing or or a drop tank. I mean, things that a six-year-old or a four-year-old wouldn't know. So he told his parents stories about being in a plane that had received a direct hit on the engines and was shot down, and he he knew things like the the name, you know, Iwo Jima, and um, he gave exacting details of living in an aircraft carrier, and even provided the name of the carrier as the Natoma Bay, and and gave names of people that he knew. So, as he drew the pictures of the air fight he would um, sign it, James 3, James slash 3. And so the father did a lot of research and discovered that the names of the friends that the son had given him were real names and that there was a pilot who was killed at Iwo Jima who was named James Houston. And they became convinced that the boy was talking about James Houston who had who had been on the Natoma Bay. And so they got all the veterans together. They they took the boy to meet the veterans, and um, he was able to, to identify them with their names and tell them personal things about their relationship with James yeah. Houston. I mean, I don't see how a kid could make that no. kind of stuff up. I think we covered this in On the Edge of Reality, I believe, didn't we? Before I think Akashic, it was the Akashic Record. The Akashic Record. Yeah. yeah, we
2: did a lot of work on that.
1: It was fascinating, fascinating. And then, you know, with my my daughter, it was much less dramatic, but um, my daughter started having um, night terrors, which we didn't think was, uh, I mean, we didn't have any idea of why she was having them, but she would be quite terrified. We couldn't wake her up. She wouldn't remember or she wouldn't recognize us. And she also, around the same time, started to develop some kidney problems. And, again, I didn't have any relationship between those two things. And then one day she's playing in the other room and she comes running out and she says that she remembered when I wasn't her mother. And I was very neutral and said, really, you know, so who was your mother? And she gave me a name and it was a name of my mother and also someone else. And so I said, you know, do you mean Sue Grandma or Sue our friend? And she said neither, that it was someone I didn't know. And so I just said, "Did you like her? Was she a good mom?" And she became very, very upset, ran from the room crying. And when I went to see if she was all right, she kept saying, "Stop. they won't let they won't let me tell you anymore. They won't let me tell you, which I thought was very interesting. And then I ran into a psychic, and I, I mean, it was I was just having lunch with a friend, and her friend was a psychic, and we were we were having lunch, and I just mentioned my daughter's night terrors, and and she immediately started picking up information, and she told me that um, that Erin had lived in England during World War II, that she was born to a young mother who had an affair with an American GI, and the American GI had abandoned the pregnant mother when the war was over. The mother had been shunned by her family, and shunned by the village. And her, she emotionally disintegrated after the baby was born, um, and became abusive, and eventually killed the baby when she was four years old with a, by kicking her in the kidneys. And so the what I was told, and although there's no way to verify the details, is that Aaron's night terrors would stop when she was four, and in fact they did. <laughs> and so you know whatever you think is kind of curious but here we are already we've come this far and and it's time coming up towards a break um when we come back colin's going to be sharing some thoughts on experiments with communicating with the dead and and you know a lot of people talk about communicating with the dead they and you know there are a lot of psychics there are a lot of mediums you always wonder if it's true and there are very few well-developed scientific studies on whether whether these things happen or whether they don't. And one of the few that, that was conducted is called the Skoll Experiment. It was conducted in England. And Colin, you know a couple of the people who were involved in it.
2: I do. Two of the scientists directly involved, Professor Gerald Hawkins, Head of Astronomy at University Boston. Um, was was one of them, but I'll, I'll get into more detail in, in a few moments it, It's uh, it's one where it would be appealing to the listeners to uh, Try and cross-reference a lot of experiences over the years now within the crop circles within the UFO and consciousness This I do think is where a lot comes together
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, it, I wish I had been onto to this research uh, many years before I
1: did right all right well, so um Come back after the break. Don't go anywhere, and we will be right back.
0: It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com We all have the inner ability to use the gifts within ourselves to serve ourselves, our families, loved ones, and our communities. Once you have discovered these gifts and talents, you can promote harmony, peace, and hope. To find out how to harness your own gifts and talents, tune in to Get Ready. Get ready for your breakthrough with host Felicia A. Hill, live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listen and share with others.
3: Moving forward can be difficult to do sometimes. There is always something going on. Many times, nobody else knows exactly what you're going through. If you are experiencing pain or loss, even something that is unexplained that is missing in your life, you'll want to tune into Go For It with host Joe Hausman. Joe and her guests will show you laughter and love. Sometimes you just need something a little positive in your week. Make that spot Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment.
0: Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Exploring Beyond the Edge. To reach Dr. Cynthia Andrews or her guest today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to explorations at
1: gmail.com. Now, back to our program welcome back so we are talking tonight about life after death and really we're sitting here looking at what we want to talk about and we need about 10 individual shows and maybe we will do that coming up certainly there's a lot of offshoots on this with crop circle research and the work that you've been doing Kyle
2: yeah yeah I I do think this is a really important segment (coughs) excuse me so we're looking at the skull experiment here now and uh, you know uh, be prepared to be blown away, I think. It blows me away every time I look at the detail. The experiment started itself when a spirit message came to two mediums in a small established psychic circle led by Robin Foy, an experienced researcher. That's in England, right? It is, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, up in Norfolk, on the Norfolk border. Uh, The message, purportedly from a discarlate spirit, said that the conditions were right for an important and extended experimental project to occur. That was a precise wording. The purpose of the experiment was to provide scientific and irrefusible proof of human survival after death. The experiment involved a group of four people sat in a blackened out cellar in the small village of Skoll in England over a period of several years. In 1993, Robin Foy asked the Society of Psychical Research, the SPR, to investigate what they were doing. They did this after having a Churchill coin appear out of nowhere in the cellar during one of their sessions. A team of scientists, including government scientist Dr. Pierre Aguette, who became involved and convinced of the reality of the communications due to his own experience, which we might get time to talk about in a few minutes or so. More about his own experience if we get that far. Um, The first sitting took place in Skoll and then extended to additional controlled experiment sites in the Netherlands, Germany, Switzerland, Spain, and uh, I believe it was California. What made the sessions different from the average mediumistic seance was that respected scientists and intellectuals were invited as witnesses to validate the results. Two of my friends, as we said earlier, Professor Archie Roy, I've spent many years working with uh, at the uh, former head of um, University Boston Astronomy Department and Montague as government agriculturalist from the Society of Psychical Research, SPR, amongst those scientists involved. The discarnate spirits claimed to be spirits of deceased scientists who had been working on the project from the other side for 50 years
1: did they ever find out who the scientists were Did they ever identify themselves some,
2: yes they did several of them Oliver Lodge this will come up mm-hmm. Oliver Lodge Marconi oh, and and others interesting. yeah yeah okay. yeah some involved in projects interconnected projects mm-hmm. Oliver Lodge and Marconi being so often <clears throat> at the start of the project the success was small but exciting. By the end, incredible feats of materialisation were occurring. The hundreds of meetings that took place were all recorded on audio tape, some of these I've heard. Laboratory conditions were maintained during the experiments. The mediums conducting the sessions wore luminous bands so that they could you know could be witnessed to see where they were at all times, what they were doing at all times. A table was placed in the middle of the room where the manifestations were focused. The rooms were checked before and verified to have no equipment, hidden compartments or other deception that might be producing the results. Even two professional magicians checked out the events and could not resolve the occurrences. During the 37 sittings that were witnessed by members of the SPR, the following extraordinary events occurred. I've seen much of this material, much mm-hmm. is now available. In fact, a movie is currently being written
1: about this, oh, by really? the and it's all on the internet if people want it to,
2: Yeah, pretty yeah. well so. Uh, um, Skull Experiment have their own mm-hmm. website, it's very interesting. Many of which I might remind people have occurred in the crop circle and UFO realms, these things you're about to hear. Here we go. Communications and intricate interactions with numerous spirits, many of whom were deceased scientists, including Oliver Lodge, the diatonic ratios we're going to be talking about a posthumous test he was involved in before he uh, passed away the established personalities and highly distinctive characters accents and mannerisms were were heard with whom the dialogue was highly intelligent witty informed and technically precise who helped design the research exercises and device to facilitate better results in addition to speaking through psychic uh, uh, voices, were sometimes disembodied in specific locations in mid-air, captured on tape recorders that had no microphones, or t- and on TV sets without aerials plugged in. In other words, no input could be received by ordinary means only by imprinting the magnetic medium to function new packages of sealed 35 millimeter kodak film were left out on the table during the proceedings when the film package was opened and the film developed pictures of people's faces animals and even circuits showing a refinement in the devices being used were found mm-hmm. spirit lights we've heard all of these in as i say in so the, they're
1: like orbs spirit lights abs- are like
2: orbs absolutely mm-hmm. yeah exactly that These moved around the room in response to investigator uh, requests, interaction that we've talked about throughout the series, looking like globes or orbs, pinpricks, Catherine wheels and flashes of light of varying color. These were capable of penetration of solid objects and the observer's bodies. Items in the room levitated
1: and everybody saw these things and the, whole the, si- thing. the group of scientists who were observing from the side all saw these this things. this was
2: all seen and witnessed It's written up the material is available to the public
1: and there's more coming apparently and these, and these were being materialized by spirits from the other side yeah okay Yep. Yeah, absolutely and in some cases um,
2: the levitated objects disappeared materialization of moving and walking forms. Now, I'll remind people here of the, um, the tall blondes seen by the police sergeant opposite Silbury Hill, uh, it, uh, seemingly inspecting a large crop circle there. Uh, you know, these, these things, we're, we're trying to cross-reference only specifically to
1: for, for further investigation, further research. Okay, wait a minute. So a lot of people don't know about the white, the tall beings in Silvery Hill, but you're saying that the forms were seen investigating a crop circle. People have assumed that they are aliens, and you are at this point suggesting that maybe they're spirits. There's something between. Side. Yes, and that we something, don't know it is
2: something that should be investigated. Absolutely, okay. and they too um, melted away and disappeared in right. the, in front of the the uh, police sergeant's mm-hmm. eyes. So again, that specific. Um, account is written up, it's on, on my website. Okay. And so, you know, we're looking at moving and uh, walking forms, various objects such as flowers and jewellery materialize, taps and wraps, sound and sustained touching, handshakes light kisses and the feeling, <laughs> I think well they were only light I kisses. I would have
1: thought people might have been a little bit freaked out at that. <laughs> I think there
2: was a lot of freaking out. I have a friend, um, David Haith, who I believe is listening tonight from the United Kingdom, former journalist who has been on many. He wasn't involved in this particular seance series of seances, but in many others. And I know Dave well, mm-hmm. a very trusted man, a journalist. You know, his job is to be skeptical. Totally blown away mm-hmm. by some of these things, and the feeling of these objects brushing, uh, brushing oh. aside. And I could go on, but the production of sounds. Yeah, the production of sounds, such as trumpets and the beating of drums. The most fascinating aspect of the proceedings was the discussion on where and how the spirits obtained energy. Now this is where it gets very interesting. As if that were not enough, to interact with the physical world enabling them to create audible voices, materialize images, and manifest objects. Here is the reply. So
1: one of the things that they asked at the seance of the spirits was, how they got the energy to do the manifestations that they do and this was the reply. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. And I, I think it's important because this one we has, have cross-referenced and have done further research mm-hmm. because of the, I think, the significance of this in, in a number of other aspects of the work. This is what they said. The energy of which we speak is a blend of creative energy. I'm going slow this down a little bit You've to really take mm-hmm. it in. Blend of creative energy from three specific sources now start to begin to think here triangle triangulation of forces from subtle to large the first we will call spiritual energy which we bring with us from our world from that other place the second is human energy which we take from your bodies during the experiments and the third is earth energy which is drawn from columns or reservoirs. These energies were understood and used by the ancients, but this is now forgotten knowledge and we are trying to help humanity to remember.
1: So if that is uh, true, and I certainly believe it is true, it would explain why things happen in sacred sites more than other places, that those are places where the earth energy is higher and these columns are more available, maybe why the skull experiment happened in on on old roman road there and i and i would also imagine that people are really tired after this does anyone report that 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 after an encounter or after some of these sessions that they were exhausted Exhausted.
2: absolutely That's a common yes a common reference it 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 was also in in parts of the crop circle research Mm -hmm. you know the the many hours in, in especially in a large and new formation we would often right back from the beginning talk about exhaustion headaches sometimes feeling of exhaustion as if we were involved in more than what was physically taking taking p- place mm-hmm. I think this is also what we've just been told here is uh, the potential significance of as you were saying places like Silbury Hill mm-hmm. you know it you, to 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 sit and to, to earth oneself on the hill itself in the archaeological and spiritual center of that place and to put all the, the full equation together mm-hmm. and triangulation of forces other events can happen materialization of uh, currently not understood um objects and Mm -hmm. and materializations so i think silbury hill is very much in this and other and other such sites they describe this creative energy as similar to electromagnetic field in several sessions members were given instructions on how to create higher levels of energy needed for manifestations electric lighting was not to be used these are important points electric lighting was not to be used because the current Uh, disrupted the specific special energy being created Um, and members were advised to meditate before sessions this is important too and to maintain positive Mm thoughts since this increased the rate of vibration in in a person's energy field the use of specific music was encouraged for the same reason in addition it mattered who was attending the session and where they sat
1: so there's a frequency and there's a geometry being discussed here, too, because thoughts are frequency and emotions are frequency and, and, and electronics are frequency.
2: Good points. Now, apparently, uh, different combinations of people in specific alignment creates greater flows of energy, according mm-hmm. to them. Many of the people present observed that their mental thoughts interacted with the spirits, how often have we heard this? Mm-hmm. Not in the realm of this research, but in others. The spirits provided directions on how to generate and so the protection this is relevant to and will be part of the Silbury Hill book that I'm writing. Well, about.
1: and and why people are, are in, go out and make crop circles to begin with. What is compelling absolutely. them? Are they being compelled by an interaction with Absol- spirit that they don't even absolutely. know? Absolutely. I mean, one of the highlights of, uh, of this
2: information for me is the demonstration of the power of the triangulation between spiritual energy, um, human energy, and earth energy, as was said earlier mm-hmm. here. This opens a discussion on the religious significance of the trinity Mm. and for me personally brings a new layer of information about the importance of triangles and energy in the strange event that you and I had in 1990s uh, which we've talked about before I must admit that it had not occurred to either of us that the combination of human earth and spiritual energy generated an entirely new creative energy field
1: although that's kind of what happened that night you were shown earth energy in your part of that experience i was shown human energy in my part and we were being interacted with with the spirit energy yeah and that that totally blows me away yeah i wouldn't blame anybody
2: (laughs) who who would not feel to it to believe this yeah that you and i are concocting a story Mm -hmm. i know who you are and i know that you don't this is nothing you engage in there's no point There's absolutely no point. I'm accused of many things over the years, but there's no point in lying about you know, information that's obtained like this. Uh, no, it blows me away. I mean, like you say, you were given the information mm-hmm. about the triangulation and how that utilizes these particular chakra points for healing your work. Mm-hmm. And here I am, laid next to you in bed in the middle of the night, being given precisely the same geometry, but related to where circle makers, we'll leave it at that, people or not, decided to place formations, many hundreds of them, between three ancient towns, we're back to triangulation, in southern England, this can all be checked out, it has been by many people, of Winchester, Warminster, Warminster, and Wantage. Three ancient towns, you know, coincidence or not, spells the first letters of each town, Win. The war or want or want to win the war whichever way you go around mm-hmm. that triangle uh, this was throughout the early years in in establishing and evolving crop circle uh, phenomena the mystery of it was were the events occurring inside of that triangle nobody had thought to do this and to and to look at that until the alarms started calling as we know this is one of the other stories um, you know, at 4.15 in the morning. And uh, out of all of that, that's the alarms in my house in Andover, England, giving at 4.15 every morning for two weeks, just under two weeks. Uh, so we're looking at all of that and looking at the pins on the map of Southern England where every formation that was known was placed in different colours for different years. And looking at me right in the eyes and suddenly I'm now seeing... These form a huge triangle of 415, that was the time the alarm was going off, at 41.5 miles each leg of that triangle. So what I'm really saying, and the only reason I raised that, was that this this geometry comes up time and time again. It's the placement Mm -hmm. of lights that are seen on UFO, the triangulation, the big Belgium case, the big Belgium flat, many others around the world have the energy placements that are visible, uh, these little, the blood-colored lights on the points of the triangle, and the red blood underneath it, uh, color, red blood, light, blood, color, underneath it, is the same. It's it's exactly the same geometry. It's the triangle.
1: Yeah, that is that is really uh, fascinating. That is, that's quite fascinating. Well, okay, so we're gonna we're right here at another break now. So we're gonna come back. Um, And talk more about some crop circles, some diatonic ratios, and look a little bit more at uh, what's happening here. So, thanks. Don't go away. Come right back. We're on break.
0: It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
3: Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration that opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time, 12 p.m. Eastern time with award winning authors Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the Empowerment Channel. It's time for you to take a sweet and honest look at your life. Tune into Living Within the Sweet Spot with your host, Nikki Klagel. Each week, Nikki invites you to call into the program where she will connect with each listener to show the power of God's love in every unique instance. There are gracious gifts and elements of power within each one of us. You just need to discover them and find your life's purpose. Live healthier and happier. Listen every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment.
0: Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Exploring Beyond the Edge. To reach Dr. Cynthia Andrews or her guest today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to explorations at gmail.com. Now, back to our program.
1: Well, welcome back. So we're talking tonight about life after death, and Colin has been um, filling us in on on the skull experiments, which we're looking at the contact between spirits and humans. And one of the things I wanted to comment on, Colin, is that you, you said in there, you know, the spirit energy, the human energy, and the earth energy. And it occurs to me that when a lot of human energy is focused on one spirit, that would give that spirit a a much greater boost of energy with which to interact, right? And might explain things like the number of people, the vast number of people who have had sightings and interactions and apparitions with Elvis Presley, for example, or Freddie Mercury, who can come anytime he wants to to my house. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, that whole whole idea of how much energy is available. And I think... That maybe the more that we work on building and raising our energy, the more we're creating a portal, which I think is what we discovered in our in our work together with that triangular yeah. information we were given, is that w- what it was doing was creating a portal. And yeah, and I think
2: we've what we've also spoken about privately and to friends. Um, you know, some of this is very extremely personal, mm-hmm. and some of it isn't through sharing. But what we what we found was that. Kinetic energy, it has to be available. It to be built something. It's like yep. a, a a serious uh, falling out. It leaves an emotional energy between two people or more. Um, you know this. Or falling this,
1: in love, same or thing. Or falling
2: in love, the same. Could be large portions of energy of of a, of a kind we really can't still put our fingers on. But for it to be available and to hone in through through those three three elements. Those three mm-hmm. ap- approaches, you know, can can help that along.
1: Well, you wanted to say some things about diatonic ratios. I did, right?
2: and uh, this is a very difficult one to communicate over radio. So I'm I'm going to do my best. This is a very visual. It's audio because it's it's a musical scale, and it's very visual as far as just trying to describe it scientifically and technically but we're looking here at the western white note diatonic musical scale which which was coded into the early crop circles many of the serious researchers on this subject know something of it although I really don't think uh, many have gotten uh, deeply involved and fortunately I was honored to have uh, Professor Gerald Hawkins is a friend who discovered this. So, uh, you know, I, I've been very honored to be able to uh, interact, in fact, go to Washington and this through with him, all of which were rotationally symmetrical designs. Let me say that. For, this is from the early days through for a number of years. We were obligated to investigate this topic after a bizarre discovery made by uh, Hawkins. Um,
1: Unbeknown to me at the time. So you're talking about Gerald Hawkins. And yes. Gerald Hawkins is the person who, who decoded and discovered the astrono- astronomical functions of Stonehenge. Stonehenge,
2: that's, yeah. that's absolutely right. Yeah, he wrote Stonehenge Decoded, uh, You know, a great book for anybody involved, interested in that. Well, unbeknown to me, somebody here in the States sent um, a copy of Circular Evidence, Pat Delgado, my first book on this subject. Back in 1889, published in 89, was well, sent a copy to him. He read right the way through it, uh, and um, in that book, Pat and I had included ground surveys, and unbeknownst to us, you know, Hawkins had the the book and, and started studying it. Had uh, the dimensions, the ground plans, etc., and was drawn to the musical diatonic ratios, which he he discovered were encoded in initials in much the same way as back Keeps repeating notes B A C H back in some of his music, he found that the circle makers, whoever or whatever they were, had also been encoding messages by including diatonic ratios and hence sets of notes. These notes were applied to the Bothian scale of 500 AD uh, to provide sets of initials. This coding continued for some years. The analysis covered all rotationally symmetrical um, diagrams available in Great Britain up to September '93, and those came from me. The unique reference numbers were drawn from the Andrews catalogue. Hawkins put out many inquiries in Washington DC through contacts there for listings to check these findings uh, which included incidentally the FBI most wanted list. He went through many 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 listings to try and find one that would fit. And he found one and only one. It was the list of initials of the first 25 presidents of the Society for Psychical Research of London, here we go again, which included O.L. Oliver Lodge, the very man who said he would find a way of proving life beyond the grave did he, in fact, use facets of the crop circle mystery itself to prove this? The probability of any one random pair hitting any of the 25 names on the list is calculated by Bernoulli's binomial theorem, a probability of a significance of 1.7 billion to 1 in favor. Before Lodge died, he wrote a sealed posthumous test and launched it with his society the SPR in London. He wrote a code which translated diatonic tones into a simple tune he was forced to learn on the piano by his parents. Using one hand he was repeating this tune over and over again and he said that would be the easiest thing for him to deal with uh, beyond death because it came to him naturally and automatically. He said he would prove the existence of life after death by the use of diatonic ratios. The ratios Hawkins discovered in the early crop circles, a listing the past presidents of the society. He was also a past president of, and where he sealed this possumous sealed envelope until it was opened to find that in fact it could have well been the very proof that he was promising to uh, provide from the other side.
1: So it's kind of interesting because what you're saying is that Oliver Lodge set up this test. Gerald Hawkins undertook to um, understand whether his test had had, you know, played out by looking for diatonic ratios, and he found diatonic ratios in the crop circles. Yeah. He then used those ratios to find a correlation, and the only correlation that he could find was was back to this yeah thank to this you societal. you put it much more clearly no, but, I, but, but, yeah, but, the, but the curious thing about it is, is that nobody else would have been looking in, right. the, in the crop circles for diatonic ratios right. if Oliver Lodge hadn't set it up to begin with exactly right? Right. I mean it's kind of curious it, all around.
2: It, it, it's phenomenal <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of the um, scientist's name now I guess it doesn't matter too much right now but he was the chief scientific advisor uh, to the head of state Queen Elizabeth and uh, to the um, Prime Minister at the time. And um, I cannot think of his name. Yeah, with an F. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, anyway uh, I don't have that right in front of me. It usually comes right mm. out. But he, he he got involved with it, with the crop circle research at this point. He, you know, most people were not aware at that time that the Queen was also receiving as Prime, Prime Minister of Cabinet, cabinet was too, uh, you know regular updates on the crop circles but he, he was saying when he looked at this evidence of this data rather than evidence that if in fact what was they're you know, expanding and evolving in the crop circle mystery was outside of Britain now and in many other countries many of which I've traveled to you know to look look at look into this that if these were people making all of them then there was a an international conspiracy which was highly unlikely
1: Mm -hmm. you
2: know so there was something that tied it it hasn't been accepted as the litmus test uh, you know as as a grouping uh, of circles rather than individual circles being yes, man-made or no, not man-made. It's a different question. It's a different, well, question, you, it's a different uh,
1: answer. And you just can't ask that question anymore because of all the interaction and all the intricacies of it. This comes down to something else. There's mm-hmm. an intelligence involved here. Totally certain
2: of it. I've been. I wouldn't still be here after four mm-hmm. decades, nearly four decades, uh, unless there was something that was not only ha- happening that was real and worthy of continuing day after day, but that was encouraging that to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, there there are things happening, keeping you on the hook, keeping me on the hook.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, it's also interesting that electronic energies dissipate um, this this combination of of. You know, earth and and spirit and human energy that's needed to to facilitate it. That electronic energy is dissipated, because like with the study of instrumental transcommunication, it's it's observed that it's much easier for spirits to make a sound on on an electronic device than to, than to do these other manifestations. And so that would seem to be the easier route to to have an electronic device that they could leave imprints on, right? Well, that's an interesting thought. I mean, and also, you, you
2: know, just kind of like expand that, that thought for a moment. You know, when you look at frequency on a dish, you know, mm-hmm. with, with glass being or sand, you get these gorgeous patterns mm-hmm. that, that are seen, that some of which uh, are, are fall within the range of the... Uh, several thousands of crop circles but uh, There's a, a three the the first report of a triangle in crop circles came from Corhampton in 1988 and the the seven concentric rings 48 spokes that were formed by the plants growing in that design they well indicate that there was evidence of an at Some
1: kind of frequency input. Mm, too. Well, that's interesting. Well, so one of the things that you will notice that we have not talked about tonight is to try and tell you what happens after death or what you will find or what your experience will be. And, and that's very purposeful because everybody is going to have their own internal um bias and their own internal sense of what's right and those are things that we need to discover on a personal level but i think if we can take on board the idea that there is something there it changes how we live and it changes what we do and uh, Colin I know you know this is this is our last night on this medium and um, we want to leave people with something on a positive note what was it that you would like well, to Well I make? would
2: just just very quickly to say that the Core Hampton Circle is uh-huh. on the Facebook page yes. go and have a look at that that's uh, better than I can speak it, as Carl Jung would say has said I shall not commit the fashionable stupidity of regarding everything I cannot explain as fraud. That <laughs> I mean, this is the, the right approach, I think, for what we're looking at right now. Be happy and love thy neighbor. This is the time to demolish all walls between us.
1: <laughs> Very well said, Colin Andrews. <laughs> So please do, um, you know, send us questions, send us ideas for upcoming shows. We have, uh, we, we, you know, we have a lot of things that we still want to cover and talk about, and we want to be able to do it in a very relaxed and informal and conversational way, where people can be involved in that conversation and we can explore some of the deeper aspects of this. I think we've just really touched the surface of what there is to talk about on this subject. I think if we were to sit down and look at some of the experiences that you have had that have kept you, as you say, locked into this research, um, I think it would be very surprising for a lot of people.
2: Yeah, we have discovered the um chess player as I was Mm -hmm. often termed that and I think that basically is where I am right now Mm -hmm. you know after these years of research we have discovered that a chess player is moving pieces around Mm -hmm. in what appears to us to be an illogical fashion for a logical conclusion stand by
1: so what we will leave you with tonight what I will leave you with is to repeat that you are enough that life is enough and that you are exactly where you are supposed to be doing exactly what you are supposed to be doing. So come back and find us. Tune in to our program on YouTube. We're very much looking forward to spending more time. Thank you for all of your work on this, Cynthia. Oh, well, thank you, Mr. Andrews, for all of your work on this. And Mr. Spine, thank you. <laughs> and thank everybody once again for participating. Thank you, participating. It's been a, a great honor and a great pleasure. To spend this time with you on Monday nights, we're going to miss it. I'm going to miss it.
2: Yeah, me too.
1: <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> it, it has well, been more enjoyable than we expected. Well, we look started. forward to the next uh,
2: the next series the next in another series. venue, and uh, yeah. thanking everybody for everything.
1: All right. So, thank you, and uh, this will be good night. Good night. you so
0: much for joining us today exploring beyond the edge is heard every monday at 4 p.m pacific time and 7 p.m eastern time on the voice america empowerment channel until our next program dr cynthia andrews wishes you a great week